is a podcast for Functional Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. Hi everyone, today I am extremely excited to share yet another special BS podcast episode for our listeners. Um, this episode is again being released as part of our 2023 UK Black History Month series. The purpose of this series is to provide a platform for black ecologists and to showcase the fantastic work and research that they are doing. So today we're speaking to Jean Salazar. Jean is a fifth year graduate working on understanding patterns of evolution and adaptation of species to mountain environments in the Neotropics. Jean is doing this research in Dr. Jonathan Lossos's lab in the Department of Biology and Biomedical Sciences at Washington University, St. Louis, USA. So hi, Jean, how are you? Frank, thank you for inviting me. I'm doing really well, even though it's kind of cold here in San Luis already. <laughs> what temperature is it there now? Um, Celsius, I think one, one degree Celsius. Oh my God. I was, I'm, I'm in London. It's like 10 right now and we're all complaining and we're all shivering. God, one. Okay. <laughs> it's cold. And as you've done a blog post for us before for another Black History Month series that we did in the past, I know that you come from Colombia, so yeah, I imagine that must be a shock to the system. So yeah, anyway, can we talk about just a little bit, if you could just give us an introduction about who you are and sort of what your research interests are. Let's, let's, I'm going to go from the beginning. So I'm Jan Salazar, mm -hmm. but that's the name I use here in the state because people okay. usually have like one name and one last name. My actual name is Jan Carlos Salazar Salazar, and mm -hmm. yeah, we probably have the same name, but it's just by chance, <laughs> the same, yeah. same last name, but just by chance. Yeah, I was born from Col in Colombia, originally from a really small town, and I grew up in, in Cali, which is a bigger, one of the biggest cities in Colombia. And I did my undergrad in Colombia as well, in University of SSE. And I did uh, my studies on like biology, and I focused my thesis at the, at the time in conservation biology, sort of. And mm -hmm. then I moved here to the United States to work with Jonathan Losos four or five years ago, in 2019, yeah to do my PhD Amazing. in ecology and evolution, technically, that's like the name of it. But I'm still working on, obviously in ecology, I'm still working on animals that I did, that I worked with them during my undergrad thesis. So I'm basically doing or working in the same uh, group of animals since 2016 or so. Wow, God. All right, well, let's let's pull it back and talk about, because I think yeah. it's, um, let's talk about Colombia and what, what that was like growing up. So growing up in Colombia, were you, do you say you grew up in a city? Yeah. Okay, so did you have like access to like nature and all that kind of thing, or did that come later for you, that love of nature? I, I love this question. So, yeah, in, in, where I grew up in Cali, we have like dry forests, so it, there's okay. there's not that much to see. But mm -hmm. we have the Andes, like almost everywhere you're in Cali, you can see the Andes right right there. Wow. <laughs> so I always seen them, you know, every time you kind of wake up and you go for a walk, almost anywhere in the city, you see the Andes. So that was like the first thing that I saw as a kid. Like, I don't know why those mountains are always there and why they're always green. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my parents grew up, uh, they were born in this area in, in Colombia, which is in the southwest, basically mm -hmm. like near the Pacific coast. So and they grew up in this beautiful place that I have been, I have been just like twice in my life. So basically they grew up in the tropical rainforest. Mm -hmm. So now you can imagine <laughs> how beautiful that place is. And I, I was, I think, like six. My father took me for the first time to visit my grandma. 
Mm-hmm. And I have never seen so much green in mm-hmm. one place before. So can you imagine you have seen these like videos from I don't know, like BBC or National Geographic when they, this person goes to the forest and all that he sees looking at are like plants, animals, mm-hmm. and, and green. So that was me at six years old. I have never seen those this many plants, this many snakes, this many frogs, this many of every single animal. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that was the first time I, I think to myself, like, oh, I want to study this. Yeah. I don't know why or what, but I just want to be here for the rest of my life. And then mm-hmm. I went back when I was 11. And I was like a little bit older, a little bit more mature. <laughs> so I'm definitely, I want to do this. And I think that was the first time I, I saw these frogs that are like poisonous. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time I saw one of those. That was the first time I saw a coral, I saw a coral snake. So I was like, oh, I really wow. want to study these guys. I, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not studying them now, maybe. I won't, will not study them anytime soon. But, you know, I still work with, uh, with herbs. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, was, it was really cool. I think that was the, those, that, those two experiences as a kid, I think those were the one that basically told me, like, you should study biology. A natural historian or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so can I pick up on, so having that access and obviously being able, you know, you, like you said, you only went at the ages of six and 11, but it clearly made a huge impression on you that sort of inspired you to this day. Did your parents kind of, do your parents, like, do they push you, did they push you towards this? Did they sort of support you with it and want you to go and study biology? I mean, not, not really. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my dad wants me, wanted me to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Technically, I'm gonna become a doctor, you know, but not that, <laughs> that he wanted me to. But yeah, he wanted me to study like medicine or engineer, in, engineering, and I didn't want to. Like, yeah, it would have been, you know, I guess, cool to learn all those things, but I wanted to be or in nature because mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with with it, like really, a really young age. So I always had in mind like this is what I want to do. So, but once I, I applied to uh, to the university and I told my parents like I'm going to study this, they said like, you know, if you like it and if that's what you want, we fully are going to support you. So that's right. I suppose the question I want to ask about around that is, is there a sort of societal pressure from where you're from to sort of go into specific degrees? I know when I speak to a lot of people, um, especially people in Africa, I interviewed a guy, Gideon uh, Deme from Nigeria, and he was saying, you know, in, in Nigeria, it's just you want to do law or medicine and anything else. People, most people think it's a waste of time. Is it? Is that similar where you grew up? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. But I think it's mostly because, you know, I think just like how black people are had this, this disadvantage because you know slavery i'm not i don't come from a family of money so my mm-hmm. parents grew up like basically in poverty and i i had a really good life as a kid but we, we didn't have that much money so mm-hmm. my, my parents wanted me to you have to study something that give you money in the future so you cannot mm-hmm. you don't live that the way we did but at the same mm-hmm. time like, obviously i don't want to live in that way anymore but at the same time like, i want to enjoy what i'm doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't want to go to medicine or study engineering because I wasn't sure if that was going to make me happy. Yeah. I prefer to, I prefer to choose something that made me happy. And I knew that sorry, biology was going to make me happy. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm happy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think that there's always that pressure that people told you, you should have studied this or that because you need to get money. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's that's why it's so inspiring and why it's so great. I think that we get to sort of celebrate the fact that you know you you guys are doing something that you know societal family pressure probably put, tried to push you away from, and you're all excelling and you're doing so well at it. And you know, I think young people who listen to these episodes, if we do have any young people listening to the British Ecological Society podcast. You know, it's it's really nice to feel sort of represented, I suppose, and to see that there are paths possible. So we'll talk about the path in a little bit. But um, I wanted to ask you what your favourite study organism is, because you said as a kid you liked all the frogs and the snakes and now you're doing herbs. So what's where are we at here? So funny fact, when I was when I was doing my undergrad, I was in a lab that worked with birds. Mm-hmm. So and my PI at the moment, like my the, the principal investigator of the lab, he could have swore that I was going to study birds for my undergrad thesis. But when it came to time, I, I said to him, like, hi, Gustavo, you know, I'm, I'm close to do my thesis. Um, I really want to want to work with frogs. And he said, like, why? <laughs> like, I, I love them. I think they're really cool. Um, since I wanted to study, like, thermal physiology and ecology, I think that's a better model system than birds. Mm-hmm. It was kind of mad. He wanted me to study obviously birds, keep studying birds. And he said, like, I don't really know those many people that study frogs, but my wife, he said, he she studied studied animals research. She, I'm going to ask her if she wants to, you know, help you study frogs mm-hmm. or if you want to kind of study animals. And I said, like, animals, you know, frogs they are like close enough in the evolutionary mm-hmm. tree. So <laughs> so basically that's how I started. Uh, studying uh, animals, and I think they're a, a great model system. I, I love them. They're really, really cool. They're beautiful, and they're like super easy to find. So I, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, let's study animals. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if yeah, I think I haven't explained it. Uh, animals is like a, a genus of you know, tropical lizards, and mm-hmm. they have this like flag-like appendix in the in the neck. So they, they extend it and contracted, like, depending on if they are made in or, like, marking territory. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful. I mean, I'm noticing a pattern here, Jean, of you uh, being told to do something and you going, no, I'm doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is great. Um, so now that you've given us favourite study species, so an animal lizard, perhaps you can talk a little bit about what your ideal study site would be. Where would you love to do some ecological research that you've not gone done before? So there's an anole. It's called the Andean chameleon. Mm-hmm. It's an anole that it looks like, like like a chameleon. So it's one the only species of that genus that kind of goes as high as uh, 3,700 uh, 3, uh, meters of wow. elevation, which is mm-hmm. impressive for a lizard that small. So I went once to this site in the in the Colombian Paramo. It was I think it was like 3,000 something. Uh, meters above sea level, and I spent a week looking for one in the Paramo. Wow. And I found one, just one individual. But I didn't find it in the Paramo, I found it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I think my, my ideal, like, field uh, trip is going to the Paramo and find, find like, I don't know, like a hundred of those lizards. <laughs> <laughs> so I can actually study what I want to study with them. Because they are, so, I mean, I know they are uncommon in the Paramo, but since they are uncommon, no one has studied them before in the way I wanted to. I want to. So it would be ideal if I go somewhere and 
in the Paramo, and there are like a hundred of them that I can just go and measure. <laughs> I love that. So you mentioned that that would be in Colombia, right? So because I, I always like to also try and get an idea about the you know the country where our interviewer viewees are from. What is sort of ecology like in Colombia? Is it is it in any way? I mean, I can't. I presume it's not super well funded and all that kind of thing. But is is there like an awareness there of its importance and? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, yeah. We don't have as ecologists, we don't have the that much funding in Colombia to do ecology work. But something that that I have noticed is that I mean, different from here in the U.S., people in Colombia is the biologists in Colombia are mostly focused on like nature and mm-hmm. understanding nature so even though we don't have those many like resources like economy wise like money wise people still goes to the field and do like natural history mm-hmm. i think that's i mean you don't you don't know what you're going to lose if you don't know what you already have so mm-hmm. i think that's really important people still goes to the field people i mean now that uh it was like in 2016 that we signed a peace agreement with with the farc that basically changed the whole colonial history because now areas that people weren't able to go because they were like, uh, you know, the park was there. Now they can go and basically study and explore nature there. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, people just love nature in Colombia. So people, even, again, even though they don't have money, they just keep studying and studying and studying. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important for since Colombia is one of the, uh, maybe the second, I think, biodiverse planet in the country. There was one of the most diverse planets in the country. Just studying, doing natural history might you know, move people from other countries. Let's say, oh, we, have to, we should protect this. We should actually mm-hmm. take action against climate change now that we know that this is all we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so perhaps we haven't quite delved into, let's let's jump to the present, right? And perhaps you can just talk about, so you've been at Jonathan Lossos's lab for five years now, is it? What are you getting up to there? What are you researching? So I've been I, I've been doing a little bit of everything I think. Yeah. So at the beginning when I just, I first came to the lab I was I was going to do basically like field work as much as I could but the pandemic happened so I have to change mm. my plans. So now I'm working on a little bit of like data science a little bit of field work a little bit of like uh, web lab. Yeah, I think that's sort of what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. the first I'm just kind of looking at how species and all have evolve in different areas in the neotropics and how how many times they have been able to basically colonize the mountains in the different regions in the neotropics. So that's like one of one of my projects. Then I'm just looking at more like a local scale thing that is look looking at how species, how populations from one species have been able to basically do the same thing like evolve or move or colonize or adapt to the mountain range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And another thing that I'm doing, this is like basically my first, my second, and my third chapter is looking at uh, water loss in desert uh, lizards too. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to do like as much as I can, but always looking at lizards. For that last one, I don't, I don't work, I'm not working on animals. I'm working yeah. on another type of, another type of lizard. But most of my dissertation is focused on animals, and mm-hmm. most of them is focused like a little bit of, of it is focused on the Indian tropics, another, another small part only in Colombia. And the last, that last one is focused on like in Western US. Okay, fantastic. I think the next thing that I'd like to ask is just being able to work in a lab collaboratively with all these people and we'll do shout outs at the end. I'm sure you've got lots of shout outs. 
but perhaps just to talk a little bit about some of perhaps any barriers to access, whether that's to higher education, whether that's to ecology, like any barriers that you had in your journey and any sort of potential, if you can think of any, solutions for removing those barriers for younger generations and future generations, if that makes sense. I think that the journey hasn't, no, hasn't, hasn't been easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so especially, I mean, when, when you're like in, in Colombia, you're like basically a black person. Sometimes it's, some, maybe not sometimes, like most of the time it's really hard to picture yourself going to the university. Because mm-hmm. if you, I mean, I don't know, like now I think the country, at least the Colombian government is doing more stuff to actually help people from minorities to actually be able to go to university. But back when I, I went to college, it was kind of difficult because first you would never see anyone that, who was black, like in the advertisement or something. Mm-hmm. So, and if they were showing the advertisement, I think you wouldn't expect to see them in the actual university. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting going to, to college. How happy it happened. I, I won a scholarship to go. So I went to uh, the university. But once you are there, I'm not seeing anyone or not that many people that look, looks like you is kind of like, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have representation, like why why, why am I here? Is There is no one that looks like me. That, is this this hard that just people living or they're just not as upset me as the way, as mm-hmm. the way I'm, you know, because I am black. So it, was, it was really tough. But like in my undergrad, in my undergrad I met one person, she was a professor in the university. I think she was like in uh, sociology, anthropology, one of those two, or maybe the two programs, she was a professor there. So she was basically the first person that I remember that I knew she got a PhD. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. she's a woman and she's black and she got a PhD. Mm -hmm. And he told me her story and it was like a difficult story. I was like, oh, someone that have shared like a similar story as Mm -hmm. uh, have done this much. And she was like the first, I don't know, like the first person that I started like to admire. Like oh, I want to, I want to be like her. Now she's mm-hmm. the, she works in the, in the, in the government. Now. I think she's the, uh, the Ministry of Ed- Education. I think if I remember correctly. Wow. Yeah, she had a really, really cool journey. So that was the first person that I was like, all right, if she made it, I can make mm-hmm. it. And then coming here to the U.S., you know, my mother language is Spanish. So and since I, I grew up in a really humble family, I didn't have access to actually learn sp- uh, English. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while once I started my PhD to actually adapt to the language. I think in the first year, in the first year I wasn't even talking to that many people because <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't you know I wasn't confident mm-hmm. enough to talk in English, even though I had come twice already to the states to do like mm-hmm. short internships. But yeah, the first time the first time I came, I went to Purdue University. I had no idea how to talk English. I could have. I was able to understand a little bit what the professor I was working with said to me. And that was like pretty much it. The second time I went to Virginia Tech and the person that I was working with, she was Latina. Mm-hmm. So her, she was born here, but her family was from Spain and Cuba. So she was, a, she was able to actually talk to me in Spanish and explain like, oh, this is how you would mm-hmm. say it. And that was like, all right, I can do this. And, but, and then I moved, when I actually moved here, it was, it was really difficult. It's not yeah. the same working with just one person and, you know, that's the only person you're going to be talking with and actually taking classes. Like I have to talk with different professors. I have to talk with my classmates. I have to talk with the people in the lab. So I have mm-hmm. this many accents that I have never heard. <laughs> so it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really tough. That, that first like, shock was mm-hmm. almost traumatic. It was, it was really difficult. 
So that yeah. was like another like barrier. Now now I feel a little bit more comfortable like talking English. Yeah, I'm still a little nervous from time to time when I talk about mm. but I think now it's like I have, I have to do it now. This is like, you know, this is I have been my life for the last five, five years. So I have to do it. Even if I don't want to, I have to do it. <laughs> for your second question, like how can we change this like paradigm? I think we need to have representation. Because mm-hmm. if you see or picture someone that looks like you in some position or some place, you would want to, all right, if he, if he or she made it, I can make it as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the first thing. Like We need more representation in order to basically turn down those walls, those barriers. Fantastic. So I think the thing I want to pick up on as well is, I think that's a really good point that you make about representation, right? Like it's really important that we see inspiring figures that look like us. But with the language part, I think that's always a really tricky one, isn't it? Because is the solution that we need to move away from publishing so much stuff in English and try and, you know, export? Or is is there anything that you think would be beneficial or that you thought was really helpful? It could just be that you had that friend who was from Cuba that was able to kind of link you up. Yeah, that would have helped make that transition perhaps slightly easier. Or is it more being able to publish some research in your native language in Spanish. I know that, you know, the BES office sort of translated abstracts and translated blog posts, that kind of thing. But ultimately, the paper is still got to be in English. So I'm just trying to think about what some solutions to that could be, you know. I think so, something that I have seen lately on, on, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so, so several journals are asking now to write your abstract, not only in English, but in another language, either Portuguese or Spanish. I think that's helpful to some extent. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Spanish speaker only, you can read the abstract of like, oh, this this paper talks about this, but you know, what else? You cannot read the paper because the rest of it's in English. But some other papers, uh, sorry, journals, having the option to write in the supplementary material like the whole manuscript in mm-hmm. the Spanish language, I think that's really helpful. Still, the paper, the paper is, is was published like in the journal in English, but now people can access you know to the supplementary material and read the paper in their language. So that, that would be really helpful. But I think that not those many journals do let the the authors do it. But I think that would be like ideal. It would be great. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like there are so many languages that people are you know that that working science have that is would be difficult as well to have every single person to translate those manuscripts so yeah yeah at least uh, it would be great to have them at least in english and another language um, as an spanish speaker i would love to have them in spanish obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be at, le- at the very least journal should let the authors write the abstract in another language mm-hmm. just before we move on to sort of the second part of the um interview which is more around Black History Month and, you know, celebrating inspiring figures and that type of thing. I just wanted to ask quickly, what what's one piece of, of advice that you think young Jean would have liked to have heard when you're in the rainforest looking for poisonous frogs and snakes? What's, what's one piece of advice that you think I would tell young Jean that? That's a difficult question. There are so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the one, I mean, there are some... There have been some moments like during my journey that I just I really wanted to give up. Like, ah, oh, this is just mm-hmm. too hard for you know, several different reasons. 
So I would say to myself, like, I know it's going to get hard, but, you know, keep fighting. It's mm-hmm. it's going to get worth it at the end. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Sometimes it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just difficult. But, yeah, I think what I said to me is keep fighting. Things will get better. You will be happy. Just try to enjoy the journey. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And what a journey. What a journey it's been. Perhaps we can talk a little bit now about, um, you know, as Black History Month is a chance for us to sort of celebrate Black history and heritage and culture and iconic figures who have made an impact. Who are your Black role models, either within ecology or I, I know you mentioned um, a lady who now works in the Department of Education. Um, so that's one definitely up there. Um, but other sort of Black role models, they don't have to be within ecology. They can be in anything. Yeah, I have, I have, I have a couple. So when I when I went to Virginia Tech to do my internship, I met uh, this professor. He was in Harvard. He's called Edward Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Edward, sorry, it's Scott Edwards. He was the first black professor that works in ecology and evolution that I met. Mm-hmm. The pair I was working with in the in Virginia Tech, she said like, "Oh, this person is 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 coming to to the university." He was part of my committee, I mean, this is committee when I was doing my, my PhD back on, at Harvard. I think you would love to meet him. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, right. And I didn't see the flyer or anything. And then he went, he walks into the stage and I saw he was black. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this, this person, he's black and he's a professor at Harvard. And I was like, mind blown. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I follow him on Twitter. I talked with him that day when he gave, after he gave his talk. In Harvard, he was he was great. So that's definitely one of my role models. Mm-hmm. The other one was Swan Gordon. She used to work here at, at Washington University. Now she moved to Cornell. Mm-hmm. So she was like the first the first black woman that I met that was a professor. And she's she's originally from Canada, so she have that plus that she's international too. Like all right, this is mm-hmm. people from other countries can make it here in the US. <laughs> like yeah. you being black and international, you can make it. So that that was. She was, yeah, she's, she's an, an amazing person too. And I love her research. Yeah. And the other person is called Christian Roman Palacios. He's also from Colombia. And I think he was the first, I met him when I was like in my last year of, of, uh, of undergrad. And he was in his first year of his PhD. And he was the first black guy student I, that I ever met. Wow. Was like, oh, and I talked to him like, how do you do it? Like, yeah, it's been tough, you know, you can make it. That was, she was, yeah, it was cool to meet him because he was like, I sometimes like, all right, I think I can do a PhD because at least I know that someone have done it. <laughs> well. And he, he also was in ecology and evolution, so that was like, why? Particularly, I, I like, got excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting just how much you're driving home the, the point that you need to see that these are viable paths for you as a person how important that is uh, and has been for you um during your journey so i think we've covered i mean the the theme for this year's black history month in the uk is saluting our sisters so we've mentioned a few but are there any other sort of black women that have inspired you um doesn't have to be within ecology evolution just generally yeah there's one more one more person i would say that she's called her name is Mabel Torres. Yeah, she used to be she was the former minister of science and technology, I think it, it is. That it should be a translation. So I, I met her while I was doing my I think no, I think I already graduated from college. And I and I met her and she's a microbiologist. 
mm-hmm. she's she's really she's really cool. So I was, she was like the, the the one of the first again person that I, I knew that was black had a PhD as well. It was like I didn't know that you know there were these many people. There was like relatively close to where I am like geographically in Colombia mm-hmm. that have PhDs. So it was yeah I think she's also admire her a lot because again she hasn't had an easy journey. It's been difficult for her and she went up to be you know a minister mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in a, in, you know in Colombia which is I think is amazing. Wonderful. Right. So yeah, let's let's go let's go towards the future then. What does the future hold for you? What's what's in store? What do you hope to get up to? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 close to graduation. I should be finishing next year by December, hopefully mm-hmm. on May by on May uh, May 2025. So uh, and after that, I'm basically looking for for both exposition or maybe going somewhere as a lecturer or mm-hmm. I, want, I want I kind of want to be a professor but I don't have, want to have the pressure to be writing big grants or you know, <laughs> that one. I just want to mainly like teach and be mm-hmm. like mentor for grad students maybe master students yeah, that's mostly like my focus I just want to teach and kind of do some research on the side if I can <laughs> well yeah, I think that's that's mostly my, my goal like, oh, I want I want to be a professor because I, I love teaching I think that again, as I said, we need representation in order to like kind of accomplish our goals. And I think being a professor is like one of those things that you can or might be able to change uh, like people's mind. Mm-hmm. So because yeah, like all my most of my my inspiration, like the reason why I kept going was because I met people while I was doing my undergrad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and I didn't I, and I never have a, a black professor, so it would be nice to inspire people you see me here i'm teaching you the next generation yeah yeah oh, fantastic well um we wish you the absolute best of luck with it i'm sure we'll get something from you next year for black history month again and we'd love to you know blog post or podcast whatever just to catch up with you see how you're doing uh if you're not completely snowed under <laughs> it's the end of your undergrad busy busy times i just want to say thank you so much for um for your time just to remind our listeners that Sean's previous blog post will be available in the description of this podcast as well as any other of our um, Black History Month blog series materials. Uh, We'll provide a link to that too. Last thing to say is thank you so much, Sean. I've really enjoyed the chat. Thank you, Frank, for having me here.